Hello, and welcome to the Detoxicity Podcast, about men, by men, for everyone. My name is Mike Joseph, and I thank you for listening. I hope that you all are safe and healthy. If you're enjoying this podcast, I hope you also like and follow it on your platform of choice so that you're alerted to future episodes as they drop. I also appreciate any feedback you can offer, whether it's via a rating and comment on the show page or via social media. If you're enjoying this podcast, I hope you also like and follow it on your platform of choice so that you're alerted to future episodes as they drop. I also appreciate any feedback you can offer, whether it's via a rating and comment on the show page or via social media. I can be reached on Instagram at It's Mike Joseph or on Twitter at It's Mike Joseph One. Detox also has a Facebook page at facebook.com slash detoxpod. Finally, you can always email me with suggestions, comments, ideas, or if you would like to be a guest or know someone who would be good for the show. That email address is detoxpod at gmail.com. My guest on this episode is Samuel Shin, who is a meditation teacher, a spiritual coach, and a psychotherapist based in the San Francisco Bay Area. Samuel discovered the Detoxicity Podcast through Taylor Houchins, who is my guest on episode 7. Like Taylor, Samuel specializes in working with men, and in this episode, he discusses why he feels so passionate about helping men heal themselves. He also talks about his integration of Eastern and Western philosophies in his practice, and we discuss how we view spirituality as separate from religion. It's a great conversation, and I hope you enjoy it. Samuel Shin, everyone. My name is Samuel Shin, and I am actually a therapist, psychotherapist, turned life coach that's kind of how i call myself and i say that pretty uh like intentionally because i actually have some issues with the mental health model mental illness model in the west and so i um i can see that it's just there's some limitations of it that i've felt going into the field and so i'm like slowly breaking out of it it's been kind of a six-year process but slowly breaking out and starting to go in more into the online space and offer coaching so i call myself an emotional spiritual coach because those are the two worlds that i really bring together a lot and i'm currently focusing on working with men and uh, i've been doing a lot of men's work in the past year and that's why i knew taylor and i've done some trainings with them leading some groups and yeah I've got like some courses and online stuff, online offerings, but it's all just kind of starting to happen now, especially during this pandemic. Sure. <laughs> just one of the blessings of it. But yeah, so I was I was previously uh, working in a residential treatment center for teens. I call myself an emotional spiritual coach, but my background, I've worked in like a lot of different areas. I've done child therapy, I've done grief and loss counseling, actually with people in hospice. And then most recently, I was in a residential treatment center for teens, a 30-day treatment center. But, you know, I really see myself as kind of like a, like, I bring together Western psychology and Eastern spirituality, a lot of Eastern traditions, a lot of meditation, and I've done a lot of work around sexuality. So it's almost like I see myself as approaching, like, a, it's like a very holistic way of, of approaching people and human nature and uh, understanding people and then seeing where things are there where they're off and how to bring people back into balance that's kind of how i see what i do so that leads me to two questions sure one is what made you decide to focus in specifically on men and the idea of maybe combining something more traditional with mm-hmm. uh, sort of Eastern-based philosophies, like what mm. made you kind of focus, you know, make that your focus? Mm-hmm. 
Well, uh, there's a lot of <laughs> a lot of things, but I actually went to a school that integrates Eastern spirituality, Western psychology. So there's a grad school in San Francisco called the California Institute of Integral Studies. And they are like social justice and they do psychedelic research and consciousness stuff, but they have graduate level programs in counseling and psychology. And so that school has a lot of East-West kind of integration into their approach, very holistic program. And then the second reason is that I am East-West, right? So like I, parents are from South Korea. I was born in the States. I grew up pretty traditionally Korean with my parents. And, and so like, I feel like I have a lot of Eastern like wisdom or just stuff in my, my body, my bones and who I am. And then I grew up here. So just like learning Western things has kind of been, you know, just academically and all that. So I'm constantly bringing those two together, but I've just done a lot of meditation and meditation has been a huge path for my growth and just my evolution and, and how I like to work with people. Cause it gives me like a bigger picture you know, like psychology kind of gives me this like understanding of each individual's makeup and their constitution and, you know, their emotions and these beliefs and how their patterns work. But spirituality kind of gives me this like larger context in which someone might be going through something and what it might mean and who they are, like even more than those, you know, like sure. I guess like a soul or something. But, um, so that's one question. What was the other question? Um, the second question was you'd mentioned at the top of our conversation that, you know, you found some issues with Western psychology, and I'm curious to know what those are. Oh, got are. it. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, yeah, thanks for saying that. I don't know how much on my high horse to get here because I <laughs> go, can. Go for it. Go for it. <laughs> and I don't know how much you or your listeners will jive with this, but the Western model of mental health or the mental health model is a Western model. And it's really white. It's really patriarchal. <laughs> it's really, um, you know, Western medicine approach too. So it's like something's wrong with you. Uh, like, and it's maybe just biological or something. And like, we're going to give you drugs or like, we're going to fix you. Right. To me, uh, it doesn't have, room or space or it's not the whole picture you know the whole picture for me includes definitely what happened to your childhood which psychology does include but i like to look at people from like a soul level to be honest i like to look at people from like their history their ancestors and i'm not even talking about like woo ancestors i'm literally just talking about like what were your parents parents like sure, right sure that has such an impact on who you are 100 percent. mental health and western medicine is not even going to consider that like you you're basically just a, an amalgamation of symptoms right and you go in and you have these symptoms check you have depression but like what the fuck is depression they don't talk to you about what that is and and not even a lot of therapists will i mean i don't want to bash on therapy but i, I think you know like the question is always for me, what is mental illness, right? What is depression? What is anxiety? What are these things? Are these just biological things, which is kind of the, the current conception of what mental illness is a lot of it, even the word mental illness. I'm like, is it just, is it like a mental thing? Like it's not to me. It has so much more to do with emotions, you know? 
and your emotional body, your emotional experience and the beliefs that you developed when you were a kid through trauma or whatever it is, you know, these identity issues. So all of that gets missed in the current way of looking at mental illness, in my opinion. You are 100% speaking my language right now, by the way. Cool. So. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I felt frustrated in getting the license and like put on this formal professional suit with all these rules and regulations and the system of insurance and diagnoses. It, it's very uh, it's very embedded within the, the system of patriarchy and white culture. And I have a lot of other perspectives that are both spiritual, maybe a little more like alternative or indigenous or like other culture perspectives and they just make a lot more sense to me and i feel like it helps me to access people a lot better and um, see them a lot more easily and support them and to jump back to 1a what made you decide to work specifically with men part of it was just uh, that i i it was a group called sacred sons so i I met them and um I, i went there for my own like reasons but then I saw that so much, so much of what men were going through, like I could just see it. I could understand it. I've been on this journey of healing and deep transformation for probably 10 years now. And I've been doing it a lot, like really intensely. It's been a crazy 10 years. But a lot of men haven't, right? A lot of men haven't done the inner work. They haven't really dove into their emotions, their, uh, their physical body, these these things that are going on inside, their men are so external, whatever, you know, they're just, we're not taught, we can get into this, but we're not taught how to do the inner work. And so going to these men's groups and these uh, retreats, I would see these men and just think like, wow, I could, I could really, I have like medicine for these guys. I can help them navigate this terrain. And I felt like it was, there's kind of like a social justice piece of this is all coming on the tail, um, uh, off the tail or whatever on of the Me Too movement and stuff and this idea of toxic masculinity. And I just saw the source of all this toxic masculinity when I would go to these retreats. And I thought like, wow, this is this is big. I just felt like there's a lot I could do to help. And this is a big, big thing that I, I can see myself supporting and helping for the world. So a lot of the things that you said about sort of traditional psychological practice resonated with me a little bit because I have a therapist and I have a psychiatrist. And I do think that my therapist, although as far as I know, my therapist and my psychiatrist are both heterosexual white men. My therapist does get into my ancestry a little bit and is trying to kind of like piece together things where Mm -hmm. my psychiatrist is just kind of like, you have a problem, here's some medication for it, which Mm -hmm. I am to an extent resistant to. Mm -hmm. And I think it really is important to like build a picture and not in a clinical sense necessarily, but Mm -hmm. just to kind of like, okay, what was your upbringing like? What were your parents like? Where did they come from? What did they do? What about their parents? Like, because I think who you are as a person is certainly Mm -hmm. shaped by cultural factors, geographical factors, familial factors, all of that stuff plays a role. And in order to figure out not how to cure anyone, but how to deal with anyone's individual situation, (laughs) you have to know that stuff. Mm -hmm. I think uh, one of the things coming up for me as you're saying that is I like to start from, with anybody, empathy 
which is that anybody in your shoes, anybody who has gone through, and this is you or listeners, everybody, anybody who has been in your shoes, who's lived your life, who has had your parents, who is living in this time, living in this cultural context or these subculture, like you specifically, anybody who had who has the same exact makeup and constitute is going to be feeling the way you're feeling right so mental illness or whatever anxiety depression of course you're going to be feeling and experiencing those things given your circumstances given your upbringing given who you are genetics whatever it's like there's nothing wrong i guess that's what i'm trying to say that's where that's where i start from there's nothing wrong with anybody and anybody uh it's understandable what is going on for everybody so so I like to think of um, what you said, like instead of going from, I guess, the outside in, I'm not even sure how to articulate this, but like, <laughs> you know, looking at the whole person and, and, and seeing things from uh, that, starting from that place of like, yeah, you are okay as you are and what you're going through just, it, it just totally makes sense given your life. So like, as I hear people's stories when I work with them, you know, they're starting from their anxiety, their depression, their grief, whatever. And it's like, as they start to, to talk about their symptoms, right, quote unquote, I just get to see this collage emerge about who this person is, why they're feeling the ways that they are, how it connects to different aspects of their life. And it's almost like, like, uh, I, I, I don't even see the symptom anymore, you know? I don't even see anything wrong. I just see this whole person, this whole person. And uh, yeah, I honestly, I just listen. I just listen. And usually they're, they're, they heal on their own. Like, I know that's kind of a weird way to put it, but like, that's <laughs> kind of my perspective, you know, it's like people really just need to be understood, heard, and we aren't taught how to understand and make those connections from these symptoms, these pain points and um, this suffering that we have to how it got there, how it developed, how that informs who we are. And so when you get that fuller picture, it really kind of absolves you. It kind of like gives you a sense of relief and freedom and, and makes you realize, you know, like, hey, this is normal. You're talking about normalization, right? It's like so fucking normal what everybody's going through and given what they experience, you know what they have experienced. Right. And that, Does that makes sense. Yeah, totally. And that also makes me wonder about classifying things like depression and anxiety as illnesses, mm. because it really is just a reaction to experience. Right? Totally. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I would. Yep. Yeah. That's a great way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm curious, how easy have you found it to get people to open up to you? Mm. I, well, I'm curious what where you're coming from with that question. Because I'm happy to answer it, but yeah. I, particularly with my male friends, there's a wall. Mm. And it's like, you know, for example, I will... You know, friends of mine that deal with depression and anxiety feel comfortable mm -hmm. talking to me in a way that they don't feel comfortable talking to other people because I am open about my experiences with depression and anxiety. 
people yeah. people in my circle who identify as heterosexual are comfortable mm-hmm. talking to me about queer feelings that they feel because they know that I'm queer. But these mm-hmm. conversations are not have being had to the mm. majority of the people that these people know, I am kind of a safe space in that regard. Yeah. So it's still like as much as these people may be opening up to me, I'm one person and you know, I'm a per- point, a point of a percentage of the mm. people that these other people encounter in everyday life. And mm. it's gotta be rough to have to withhold these feelings from 99.4% of your circle. <laughs> <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, I think I I think I get what you're saying. Um it's like people people are gonna open up to, to me because I went there first. Sure. Yeah. Whereas, yeah. you know, with every with most other people they're just gonna kinda hold back a little bit because they're not sure how mm-hmm. that person is going to react. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess this is this is coming up in response to what you're saying, and it may not be exactly what, where you're trying to go, but um, two things come to my mind. The first is, is that I do find that people are incredibly open to opening up to me, that they do share a lot. And I think that speaks to the fact that everybody deep down wants to be seen. You know, everybody deep down wants to be heard, understood. And I think that that, you know, this is a side point, but that I think is for me, the, the, the crux or the core of what mental, what causes mental illness, to be honest, is that, um, that wound of not being seen, not being appreciated, not being seen or heard for who you are and your unique uniqueness. And you're not allowed to develop that. So you develop these stories and beliefs about who you are and then thinking something's wrong with you to have, having these emotional needs or just emotions or parts of your personality all that you kind of like shut down and so that's i think what really creates or breeds mental illness in my opinion or what we're calling mental illness but yeah people people want to be seen you know so like you said i've also gone through a lot of these things on my own and healed them in me and done the work so people do feel that like this guy might get me or he can understand and i could probably go there with him empathy is the key so i think people do open up quite a bit but I think I, there's another part to what you're asking, which is that, you know, specifically with men, we are so conditioned to not open up, not share our feelings, not even feel our feelings, to not even know how to think about feelings. So it's like so far removed from our inner world and our inner experience that to, for a man to come into a space like therapy or... Um, to seek out support, or to even acknowledge that there's a problem, it has to get really, really bad. Mm-hmm. You know, like it gets it gets to the point, you know, where a lot of men are even like wanting to commit suicide, and they don't even reach out for help because they feel so isolated and disconnected and shut down or afraid to open up. The answer, or if there's an answer that you're even seeking, but like I, I see both sides, you know. So I, I experience both. Like I've had men come in to work with me around grief because they're just so distraught and at their wit's end and then after two sessions they feel better because i have helped them to understand what they're going through and just again like i said it makes total sense what you're going like anybody's going through of course you're going to be feeling this way that's what i do i I did and then they didn't want to do the deeper work so after two sessions they leave and um 
they're like, okay, I can deal with this. Like if this is just grief, like I'm just gonna ride it out and blah, blah, blah. But they were freaking out. They were having panic attacks and now they're better. And I'm sure they are better, but, but the baseline is so high. I don't know if that's the right way to say it, but like the tolerance level for men to like try to endure mental illness and to endure depression, anxiety is so high. And there's a fear of vulnerability and they feel, you know, what does that mean to their masculinity? So, and these were men that were like firefighters and there's like an ex SWAT guy that came, you know, so like they're on the, on pretty far into the spectrum, yeah. but you get everything in between. And I think, I think that is most men, you know, right now. So, so. how did you get to the point that you are at mm-hmm. now? What, what did that all take? Hmm. I'm I'm not like the the best example, but it could be helpful for people to hear. But yeah. you know, I I got to this process because yeah, I was in a lot of pain for sure, and I was really unconscious of it. Actually, um, I had no idea like how to um, understand mental mental illness or things like psychology. But I knew that I liked psychology and so I, I I just pursued what I liked and I started to learn a lot about the mind and learn about you know um I started off in neuroscience and then I ended up randomly at this school this school that CIS which integrates Eastern spirituality Western psychology and it just like blew me it blew me open I was just like I, I literally was having panic attacks in my classrooms because they were talking about material that were that was so foreign to me and like triggering and, and nothing nothing even like bad or wrong it was just so real it's like they were just talking about emotions and we would have these dialogues and experiences and that's kind of what that that school prides itself on it's an experiential learning environment and um so yeah just group dynamics where you're sharing from your own experience you, you know like you could only talk about your feelings um from like a first person perspective so like like, I feel that when you said this, I felt this, right? Like that kind of thing. I, that was so foreign to me. But it it started to awaken something. So that's when I started doing therapy. And, you know, I got into therapy because I thought something was wrong with me and that I needed to change something about me. There was a lot of shame. At that point, I had been... A lot, a lot of social anxiety, a lot of anxiety in general. Um, I'd say, I don't know if depression was, I, I don't think I've ever really experienced major depression, but I have, I can identify with depression and understand it from, I, I, I went through my version of it, I guess. Okay. Um, a lot of addiction. I was heavily addicted to pot and and tobacco and i had done tons of drugs i'd literally done every drug out there when i was younger um yeah just really dissociative and unconscious and in a lot of pain and um started to go to therapy started started to do body work going to the school really started to open me up that's all i could say is like opening me up to my body to my heart um these aspects of my being that i wasn't you know, like that I almost didn't have neuronal connections to, mm-hmm. you know, my brain didn't know how to conceptualize them or I didn't know how to access them. And so, so through the process of therapy and I love the truth, like I'm just kind of that kind of person. So like I loved therapy because I loved 
getting to know myself better, getting to like peel off these layers and dive deeper and deeper. And that I think is a strength. You know, I think for anybody if who's seeking out therapy, like approaching it in that way is going to take you so far. Just wanting to learn about yourself and wanting to and getting excited to like learn and grow. So um yeah, I guess that's the that's that's actually the the short version of it. And uh and yeah, a lot of work around sexuality actually. A lot of work around um yeah, just sexuality's been a huge path for me and opening up to uh you know, I like grew up super repressed, very traditional Korean conservative culture with fundamentalist Christian parents and grew up in a big church and dad was actually pastor so like i had a really really heavy like suppression like conditioning and so i was breaking out of that too and so that's a huge part of my path uh i did a lot of body work i did some energy work for like seven years almost weekly with somebody i like everything got like i stopped smoking like health started to open up in me through the process of healing and doing all these things and uncovering these wounds. And um, like, it's, I just love sharing this part because I didn't have to try to quit. I actually wanted to keep smoking. I wanted to keep doing these things, eating bad. But like, as I just started to heal and grow and, you know, develop this, um, open up to more of this like innate healing kind of healthy part of me, those habits just like, like sloughed off of me. Like, that's literally how it felt. Like, I couldn't smoke anymore. Like, I wanted to smoke, and it's like, oh, every time I tried it, because I, I felt that addictive drive, like, in my brain or whatever it is, like, my body would literally reject it, and I'd get wow. sick. And I was like, oh, I just have to let this go. Well, I guess I just want people to know. It's not easy, but, like, yeah, I could say more about that. But what, what were you going to ask? Um, my question was really just kind of a statement about culture. And mm -hmm. how, you know, we're both minorities in, in, in America. Mm -hmm. And I think just what's kind of prevalent among minority culture, whether you're black or Latinx or Asian or, you know, South Asian or whatever it is, mm -hmm. is these very restrictive, mm -hmm. you know, sort of immigrant experiences and really kind of having to figure out all of the things that are not right about that and then kind of meshing into American culture and just like the cultural restrictions that are placed on minorities in addition to the, you know, sociological restrictions and the uh, financial restrictions and all that other stuff. Like mm -hmm. one, one thing I've always thought, or I've thought since I started learning more about mental health is that if you are a person of color, you immediately have anxiety because you are other Mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and um like you i grew up uh not as conservative but i grew up in in a catholic uh house mm -hmm. and um it's just amazing how like these cultures mixed with religion and and just all of the societal restrictions just puts all of this heaviness yeah. on people that makes it harder for you to break out of habits that mm -hmm. are uh, destructive than it might for, you know, a well-to-do white person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's such a big topic and it sounds like what you're speaking to is the, like the uphill kind of climb, like how it might be harder for people of color, immigrant families and people born in immigrant families to, to, um, find 
even just basic stability or security financially, economically, or yeah, um, emotionally with these identity issues and like racist kind of ideologies and, and programming conditioning that we are exposed to for sure. Right. Yeah. Um, on the flip side, though, I would say that white people <laughs> have, um, this is my opinion, obviously, but, oh, yeah. you know, like going back to just like ancestral, ancestor piece, the ancestral piece that I, I talked about and just, uh, you know, like I think white people have their own thing, which is like a history of um, violence, history of, um, yeah, just, just like uh, probably a lot of guilt and shame unconsciously, but just there, like the white people story, especially in America is so tainted with, um, I don't want to say toxicity, but like just the, the, yeah, it was just violence and oppression and uh, um, really inhumane stuff. And that is a lot of the white person's story and legacy. And, and that does get passed down, especially because it's unconscious, you know, like the white people aren't as connected to their ancestors and their roots. And they're not even aware of where these things come from. And so I think it really does because white, like look at our country, you know, like white people are struggling with mental illness just as much as other, you know, um, other groups. I'm not sure where to go with that, but it just, there's the complicated, there's a lot of nuances to it. Yes. But, um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I know. I, I sort of personally feel like the road to, Figuring this stuff out might be, well, I mean, I, I think it's just generally easier for people with means mm-hmm. than it is for people without means. I don't necessarily Access, know if that's care. a racial thing. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, I, I totally see that. Yep. Um, yeah, and there's more stigma um, both within the, the immigrant-like cultures and also, yeah, probably from the system because – yeah, it's, it's like I said, a white kind of patriarchal system, you know? So, so I think, yeah, it doesn't serve minority populations because of that, because it's, we're living in a, in a racist culture, you know, like this is, this is going on every day and, and, uh, yeah, they're not getting access to the care. Like that's part of the reason why it's hard for me to be in the system too, and work within the system because seeing how, um, how much is actually needed for some of the people who are really, really struggling, you know, um, especially minority groups, especially um, low SES groups and, and how, how little is actually, how little resources are actually available to them and how little resources are actually being thrown at them. It's like, uh, it's backwards, you know? So it's like, I, yeah, I, I don't get that. Like these people need a lot of help. They need like the best support, but they're getting like the least like skilled workers or like the least, uh, you know, they're getting maybe interns or low ski, low, low sliding scale fee kind of stuff or nothing at all, you know? Right. Um, and, and yet they have the most, most needs. So yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely a problem. Yeah, it's crazy to get over the societal stigma. It's hard enough to get over the societal stigma, but right. then you get over that hump and you realize that the same resources may not necessarily be available to you 
that they might be mm-hmm. for people that have means. It just, I think maybe for some people feels like a, a mountain that's too high to climb. I pre- it's, it's the, you're speaking to the privilege of yeah. being able to even access care and even good mental health care, yeah. which, which isn't available to everybody. Yeah. 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 Or most people I would say. Yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm fortunate to live yeah. in New York city and not only live in New York city, but ha- be at a place in my life um, where mm-hmm. it's not uncommon for people to seek therapy. But I'm also, you know, I'm 44 years old. 15 years ago, that would not have been the case or 20 years ago because no one I knew, like I knew of psychiatry or psychiatry rather. And Mm -hmm. I knew that psychologists existed, but I didn't have access and couldn't get over the uh, just the societal Stigma. stigma. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There's, <laughs> I mean, I think, I think we're, I think we're moving and growing and changing, which is good. Um, but yeah, I still feel the stigma, you know, it's like, even though we're normalizing it right now, I, I can tell that, you know, there's still a lot of, uh, shame around like going to therapy. Mm-hmm. It's like, I could talk to people who have gone to therapy and they're like, yay therapy. But like, if you've never gone to therapy, you don't even know, what it's like you don't know how to relate and understand like you you're getting the society's message of what therapy is and this idea something's wrong with you know right um something's wrong with you so yeah there's a huge gap and uh yeah i guess your podcast is probably bridging the bridging the gap but or trying to but yes trying uh, to and and the world is opening up more to it and there's more availability and you know um, I don't know if you've ever talked about psychology today on here, but you know, that's like a good resource for anybody. And so it's, it's great. It's not like weird or cheesy. Like there's just so many therapists on there who, you know, they make it easy to find a good therapist and at least just reach out and see people who have sliding scales, stuff like that. But, yep. you know, even to get to that point where you will search, type in psychology today, like that, that's a stretch for a lot of people. So I'm not sure how to get the people there, but you know. <laughs> it's every little push every little step yeah you know um yeah. i am curious as to how spirituality plays into your work and mm-hmm. how you sort of separate spirituality from religion mm-hmm. yeah um it's a good question okay i think the best way that I can describe it is through two concepts. One is uh, the evolution of consciousness. You heard that? Mm-hmm. It's it's or and um, I guess these are connected, but evolution of consciousness and collective awakening. So I think I am always under. I always. I guess I'm a glass half full kind of person, but like I see humanity as waking up. I see us as continuously evolving, growing, and changing. And I see that in everybody individually and collectively. So um, I think there's a, an impulse in every human to want to grow and be a better version of themselves. And I think that is innate. I think that is deep in there, but we are so conditioned to not um, do that. But like one, I, I guess I believe in karma 
you know, I believe in this idea, idea of karma, at least, I don't know the technicalities of it, you know, like the nuances or the mechanics of how it all works and what it looks like. But just, just that, like when someone does die, there might be something like a soul that is incarnated into another body or into some other life or something such that the work that we each do in this lifetime does have some sort of bearing or benefit for some future person or generation. And this could even be just in your family, you know, like you're breaking the the lines of trauma in your in your lineage, right? So you specifically too, you know, like you're by doing this work, I'm sure you're I'm imagining, I don't want to assume, but like imagining <laughs> you're you're different than a lot of folks in your family for doing this work, you know? And um and so you know, you're changing the way that humanity is evolving when you do work to change yourself. So, um, yeah, I, I really see each person as having that impulse um, in them. And when I, hmm, does that make sense? Is, yeah. is that making sense? Okay. So, yeah, I do think that we are all awakening and we're all evolving. We're all changing and growing and, you know, um, and that there's something spiritual about that, you know, there's something deeply meaningful. Like, what does that mean? I don't, I don't really know what's like the end goal or the end purpose of why we're here and what we're here to do. I actually have my own perspectives on that, but like, I don't think I'm going to get into them here, but you know, like just, yeah, I do believe that. And so when I work with people, um, you know, oh, here, here's one other thing I can say is that each person I do believe has like a, a a highest version of themselves inside that isn't maybe actualized, right? That isn't actually realized yet. But I do see that in every single person that I sit with and work with. And that is what I think everybody is wanting and trying to grow towards. It's that something in their heart, something in their soul, that's that's who they truly are. And the further away we get from that, the more mental illness that we will experience, you know, the more disconnected we'll feel from ourselves and the less happy we will be in our lives, less fulfilled. So, um, so whatever that soul, I, 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 that's what I call the soul, like that soul purpose in each person to be fully who you are in the world, with your environment, with your conditioning, with your parents, whatever, didn't really fully encourage, allow, um, appreciate and so it got shut down, and then you get mental illness. That is what I think everybody wants to um, embody and realize and wake up to. And I think that is why we're all here, <laughs> so to, to embody and, and, and awaken to that. So, um, yeah, I guess when I talk about spirituality, that's how I see them. That's how I see it playing into the work I do and, and each person and human, humanity. Um, the religion piece yeah i guess uh that's a harder question or maybe it's simpler i don't know but you know religion just like institutionalized spirituality and it's become very very uh it's like a watered down version of it in my opinion and um you obviously agree (laughs) (laughs) i do i mean i i certainly (laughs) have i have feelings and opinions on organized religion for certain um, yeah, and I'm just you know, I've been trying to figure that out 
kind of within myself because I, mm-hmm. I do not consider myself a religious person. I mm-hmm. actually, for a lot of people I know who are, um, who consider themselves Christian, I just like, mm-hmm. I have thoughts about that and blackness and slavery and like that whole thing that that's a whole other like topic. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But mm. I do feel like I, I believe in karma. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe, you know, in a very sort of simplified fashion that when you die, the lessons that you have left for people or when you're, when your physical, when your shell is gone, mm-hmm. you live via the things that you taught people and the love that you gave people. And, you know, mm-hmm. even in some cases, like the bad things that you did to people, like those things are what keep your memory alive for good or for bad. Um, mm. So there is certainly a spiritual, there's a part of me that sort of lives in a spiritual world, but the whole kind of mm-hmm. organized religion part, it's just like not mm. something I can get down with it and I'm trying to get down with. Mm-hmm. And I'm just trying to reconcile all of that in my head. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, yeah I, I hear that and it sounds like um yeah it sounds like you're still grappling with how to reconcile it and, yeah and um because is it still a part of your life or are you still is it early that you've kind of been separating from it or it's, i mean i think i officially decided to separate from religion maybe like 10 years ago 10 or 12 okay. years ago and it's funny because mm-hmm. some days i'll wake up in the morning and i'll you know in my head i'll be like thank god and i'll be like no Nope. Like uh, this white man in the sky with long brown hair did not do anything <laughs> to get you to where you are this morning. Mm-hmm. All right. That is not something that I think exists. Um, <laughs> but there are, so, there is something, there are forces. Um, again, that, that just sort of lead me down a path of spirituality as mm-hmm. opposed to religion, mm-hmm. you know, like I would consider myself an agnostic way more than an atheist. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm still, again, just trying to kind of work all of that out into my head. It's as simple as like, well, shit, I got up this morning and I'm breathing and I'm healthy. Like, what mm-hmm. do I do with that information? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think, uh, wow. It's a beautiful, thank you for sharing that. Um, Hmm. I'm trying to think about how to respond uh, because it's one thing. I, I don't know if I, I'm trying to give advice or something. Well, the, the, one of the things that's coming up is that, you know, we're afraid of not knowing, you know, we're as, as a species, as, you know, whatever, we are afraid of not knowing. We're afraid of not understanding. We're afraid of, of, um, of, of, yeah, just this, we need to put things in a box often to feel a sense of security. And when those moments, sometimes we might have moments where, where things break open or we're, we're like just totally befuddled or life becomes this huge mystery and we don't know how to explain it. And then we quickly try to like put it in a box again. I think religion is a huge like representation of that or construction of our fear of the unknown and needing to find some way to uh, 
to understand who we are within the bigger context of things. Because the bottom line, or at least for me, is that like we don't know, and we we can't really ever know. And you know, I think that can people can confront that fear and then quickly back away from it and be atheists and be like everything is shit and it, and I don't know what's what's there's like a philosophical kind of uh, you know school that is like it's not cynicism but you know like like life is meaningless right a lot of existentialism was like that too and i think that can be that can come from fear right that can come from this like like uh like if everything is meaningless then life is meaningless kind of thing or if there isn't anything that i can ever know for sh- sh- sure for certain then then it must be bad. I don't know where to go with that, but I guess I guess the other alternative is like what you're talking about. When you start to open up to life, when you just start open up to the fact of being alive, I think when you start to do healing work, when you start to dive into understanding more of who you are, like life opens up in a different way, you know, and you start coming out of your own head and these conditioned beliefs and thoughts that can come from religion or just society in general. And you start to experience life in a new way and in, in a more fresh way. And, you know, the bottom line is like the mystery of life. Like when you really experience it, you don't have to, it doesn't have to make sense because when you experience it, it makes you feel alive. It makes you feel connected, you know? So um, I think it's important to use your experience as your guide and and not just think about things and also not let fear drive your beliefs and and um that's you know i think underlying a lot of religion is fear you know i think it's i i mean i can speak for for my my family and my upbringing but you know it's uh you know just that there needs to be an afterlife that there needs to be a heaven and or there's a hell and you know it really it really does feel to me like uh i need to like have something to grab onto grab hold on to, to yes. make sense out of things you yes. know and um and I get it because it's like I said, it's scary. It's scary to not know. It's scary to confront even death and the fear of death and not knowing what's going to, you know, like to accept that. That's that's such a spiritual journey, you know, and I think that's what a lot of people are 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 using religion to try to, like, cover up. Yeah, I agree with yeah. you. I mean, I, I'm mm-hmm. certainly a believer that, you know, what we have is the moment. Mm-hmm. And it's important what we do in this moment because if we, you know, and let's hope that doesn't happen, if we croak 24 hours from now, we don't uh-huh. know if there's anything after that. What matters mm-hmm. is what happen, what happens yeah. while we are conscious and mm-hmm. living amongst other people because there's no guarantee that there's anything happening after, yeah. you know, our bodies leave this earth. There's no guarantee, and yeah, what do I say about that? Um, mm, yeah, I like that, and I guess th- another way I might put it or add to it is, um, like, how do I say this? Yeah, you know, I think whether or not, like, taking away all this spiritual stuff, right? Sure. Like what the bigger meaning or not? Yeah, like the fact is that we're all gonna die, right? We are all gonna die. Like that's what we're I mean. All gonna who die. Knows? 
I have it. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> nice. I mean, who knows? Maybe they'll develop some like technology or something to prolong life. But even then, I don't know if I would want to live to whatever 150 or, you know. But um, yeah. So like, I like to look at things very practically, and it took me a long time to come to this. Like, I had to, I had to work in hospice to come to this realization and and see death, like you know, and see what it did to people and see how it impacted people to realize that like, um, you know, it's more important to just live. Like, how can you live? This is more just, I guess, something to sit with for people. Or this is a question that I like to ask people is like, how can you live your life? And this is what you were saying such that by the time you get to that moment, cause you never know when that moment is going to be, but like, so you can get to that moment and, feel like you did everything you could in your life in your conscious life everything like literally to say okay there's nothing there's nothing else i could have done so i lived that's it like that's i have no regrets i guess that's another way to put it right yes but like i don't even like that word because it becomes so cliche because like it's really like the number one regret that people have when they get on their deathbed is literally, I wish that I had done this or this or followed my passion or followed my, you know, it's like, of course, like we all like know that in our gut, but like none of us are really not none, but like a lot of us are not living that way um, because we're giving this false sense of security. I think we're given this like, you know, our culture doesn't talk about death. It doesn't show it up front. It actually hides it. So like, we kind of think we're going to live forever or, right whatever but yeah so so you're talking we're talking about like i guess we got into this with spirituality but um yeah i don't know something was just sparked when you were talking because this is i'm really passionate about this and this is actually a lot of the work that i do is like helping men um this is like what my course is about it's like helping men live in live their life such that they can come to that end point and know that like that was it i i lived my truth as fully as I could, you know, as, um, yeah, I, I did everything that I wanted to and the things that I, I couldn't do or that I didn't do, like I maybe try, you know, it's like, just, you gotta like do it all. I mean, obviously there's limitations and you can't do every single thing, but like, can you live in a way that you can recognize that you did give everything you could, you know? Um, yeah. Anyways, yeah, there's a lot more I think I <laughs> could say about that. But. Yeah, no, I, I am in agreement with you there, for sure. Yeah. Mm. Um, so in your time of, of working with men, what do you think is, and I know it's going to be really hard to kind of encapsulate this, mm-hmm. one thing that sort of unilaterally men... Mm-hmm can't what's the hump that we can't get over what is the thing that Mm -hmm. we need the one thing that we all Mm -hmm. kind of need to do to just progress to the next phase in terms of masculinity like uh Mm. if you could boil that down and and maybe you can't i mean i i don't know i mean if i'd be able to yeah or i guess i'll rephrase that what do you think is the biggest stumbling block for for Mm. men I can answer both of those. Okay. Uh, I think the first one, the first one's kind of easy and I could, I could def- like kind of describe it or define it a little more, but I honestly think that the, the key to like healthy masculinity right now 
in the world is is to get in touch with the feminine and the to like and what i mean by the feminine is emotions um body um and I actually want yeah, you really, to explain getting in touch with the body like what does that mean exactly um so like our feelings exist in our body that's i guess a simple way to put it so like when you become aware of your body you can become aware of your feelings or becoming aware of your feelings usually starts in the body you know like i guess at some point you can identify it and be like oh i'm feeling this is the emotion i'm experiencing but the way we track that is using our mind to feel into our body and so body awareness is really really key to um yeah to understanding our emotions and uh, the other thing that I really like is like men opening up their hips. <laughs> like literally? And, yeah, like moving their hips more, like like side to side, opening opening that energy up that's in their pelvic region. Um, I think that really is, you know, I mean that's kind of where sexual energy is too. But it's the source of like so much creativity, aliveness, um, connection actually to life too to nature it's all down there in our body and so uh you know men are very rigid and they're very um they're like tight in their bodies too and tense and they're holding a lot it's really interesting like you mentioned you mentioned you brought up the hips and my first thought actually was not sex it was dancing <laughs> totally exactly that's what i mean actually yeah men opening up their hips and 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 moving it side to side it's like Oh man, I just think that will help open up a lot of the body too, the upper body, the heart. Like it just gets people more relaxed and um, out of their heads too. Sure. So, yeah. Interesting. Uh, mm-hmm. And the yeah, I guess the stumbling block would be. Um, mm, yeah, that's a good question. I think there's a lot of shame in men. I think there's a lot of shame. Um, I have like some like thoughts about where that shame comes from, but really I think, uh, you know, there's a cutoff that happens really early on for men um, from boyhood. So men are boys and then really early in their childhood, they have to be men somehow. Right. It's like manning up, is something that we are told as children Yeah. to shut down your emotions, to stop crying. Um, and I've worked with teens and kids and, you know, they're just like, they, sometimes they're just like, I, I know that wasn't right, but like, that's just what I was told. So I, ca- I had to do that. And so I know that a lot of men have that conditioning. And I always, I think a lot about what it takes for a man or, a person to keep that those emotions keep to keep that up to to shut down yourself so much that uh yeah like you live your life without feeling your emotions and expressing them and, and then develops into a lot of health problems and you know so i i think that i think that the key or the core of like what's shutting men down is shame is like this belief that we're we're given through the 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 societal like norms and patriarchy of like, it's not, uh, you're not okay. Like you're not okay as you are. 
and especially your emotions, especially, um, yeah, your feelings and your vulnerability. And, and so I think it's the shame, like when in the men's work that I do that, um, with sacred sons, that's what I see kind of across the board. Like men will enter into these circles of like, they call it shadow work or carpet work where there's like 15 men there, maybe two or three facilitators. And one man will go in the middle of the circle and, you know, the, the other man and the facilitators are just there to hold space and to just listen, see what's going on for this man, what he could use some support around what he wants to release or, and, uh, so like all you see is men just breaking down. They just break down and like literally falling to the ground while other men are holding them up. And, uh, that to me is like all those years of trying to just keep it together, hold together, shut themselves down. And, and then just like, Oh, like you can drop all mm -hmm. of that and be held and supported. And, um, and yeah, like, and get that experience of there's nothing wrong with you. And actually you're loved, you're seen, you're appreciated. And that allows that to happen too. So they feel safe, but like on their own in their, on their own, isolated each of these men are out in the world thinking that something is actually wrong with them you know and that's keeping them from reaching out that's keeping them from expressing their feelings that's keeping them from even being vulnerable with their partners or you know so uh yeah i think there's a lot a lot of shame a lot of shame that something's wrong with being having emotions or being an emotional person as a man and um that's what i call the feminine but um you know it's feminine doesn't have, have anything to do with being a woman or women. It's just, it's like, yeah, sure. this aspect of being human that we're, we cut ourselves off from as men. Sure. Sure. You know, absolutely. And, uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, I would just kind of like you to speak more to where people can find you in the work you do. And if there are recommendations that you have for people who are interested in the type of stuff that you cover, Sure. Um, yeah, so I I mentioned Sacred Sons. They're a, a great group, and they're they're big on Instagram, um, Facebook, and they have a website. You can go to sacredsons.com. But following following them on Instagram is great because they have a lot of um, good. Like their vibe is very clearly, and their message is very clearly portrayed on through that medium. Okay. <clears throat> so sacred sons, and um, that is great for if you're new to this path of personal growth. I mean, I, I'll just say that that's if any of this resonated, <laughs> that's good. Like, go to them. They are like a great group. They are doing big retreats. They're doing small retreats. I mean, obviously we're in quarantine, but really bringing in healthy masculinity in a safe way. They also do like aspects that are very very masculine um like because a lot of men actually have a hard time expressing their masculinity in a safe way like their sexual their sexual desire their sexuality their aggression these types of things and having a container and having a space with other men where that's okay and that can be explored that's they, that's a huge part of what they do so it's not just this shadow work carpet work stuff and the emotions um there's a lot of screaming and wrestling and and like physical components to it too and and uh yeah like warrior energy um yeah you can find me on instagram samuel shin uh at samuel shin underscore and you know i offer one-on-one -on -one right now i have a course that i'm developing 
that's getting put out there to help men find and live their purpose in their life and create that and start to feel that um, sense of fulfillment. It's actually for men who are who are transitioning out or have transi- transitioned out of careers that are unfulfilling, that are just like eating away at their soul, sucking away their, at their soul. And um, they know that there's something more that they want to do, that they want to live and create, and that they want to start living that in the world and, and creating it. So, um, yeah, that's a course that I have right now. And, um, yeah, yeah, I think that's about it. I mean, you could just follow me on Instagram. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Um, yeah, I'm thinking about doing a podcast too. Soon Dude, just to it. like have conversations about this, this stuff. It's great. There needs, a, um, we need more. Yeah. It's a good medium. I'm, like the long form. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. We definitely need more. Yeah. Um, Cause our circles can only be so big. Right. Right. So. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I mean, I, I appreciated the opportunity and, and, um, you know, I, you, you ask really good poignant questions and, uh, like you listen and then you, yeah, I just, I like your questions. Thank you. And, I think you're, it's really valuable what you're doing and the way that you structure it and the questions that you ask. Um, Thank you so much. Yeah. I, I appreciate that. I, you know, this is stuff that I wish I'd had when I was 20 yeah. or when I was 25. Right. Cause totally. you know, it's better to learn it later than to not learn it at all. But yeah. you know, I feel like my twenties and you know, early thirties would have probably been a lot different had I had these mm. types of resources. Mm-hmm. So just trying to lay some groundwork for, you know, mm. for, for the folks behind me. I want to give big props and appreciation to Samuel Shin for being so open and honest during our conversation. If you would like to know more about Samuel Shin or reach out to him on social media, you can do so. His Instagram is Samuel Shin, S-A-M-U-E-L-S-H-I-N underscore. Once again, that is Samuel Shin underscore. And uh, that does it for another episode of Detoxicity. I want to thank you for listening. I actually want to give a long overdue shout out to my friend Calvin Williams, who did the music for the intro and outro. Much Much appreciation to you, Calvin. I need to use my words. Uh, you can find Calvin on social media at CCWII, and you can listen to his radio show, Lush Vibes Radio, on RadioFreeBrooklyn.org. Tuesday nights at 11 p.m. Once again, thank you very much, Calvin. Thank you very much, Samuel. And as for detoxicity, please make sure that when you are listening on your platform of choice, you are rating and leaving comments. I appreciate the feedback. And uh, if you want to reach out to me in the flesh, I guess, uh, hit me up on Instagram at It's Mike Joseph. I am on Twitter at It's Mike Joseph One. Or you can just shoot me an old fashioned email. Wow. Never thought I'd say old fashioned email at detoxpod at gmail.com. Once again, I thank you for listening and I hope that you stay safe and healthy. Peace out.